Amen. And good morning. I'm Dave Mitchell. It's good to be with you. Thank you for coming to worship with us on this Sunday. We are in a series called God Speaks, and it's all about the what we call the minor prophets. We've made up that term minor prophets. It's not really in the Bible. They're minor because they're shorter, because the longer prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah, are just a little bit longer, and so therefore we have that distinction for reasons that are beyond my knowledge. So it's good to be with you, and I encourage you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to this great book of Habakkuk. Um, it's in the Old Testament. If you don't know where it is, join the rest of us. Look in the table of contents. There's usually a table of contents in the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. If you have your iPhone, your iPad, or your computer, then you're home free. All you do is find a little app and put your little finger on that button that says Habakkuk. So we're in the book of Habakkuk, and it's all about asking and answering the question of why. One of the struggles that we have in life is understanding why God does what he does. This book goes to issues like, why do I have cancer? Why did my spouse die so prematurely? Why did I not get that job? Why didn't I get into that school? Why are my children behaving the way they're behaving? Why did my baby die? Why do I struggle with infertility? Now that's a sweet spot. Joy and I have dealt with that, our daughter's dealing with it. And then when you see stories about mothers giving up their babies and putting them in plastic bags in a garbage dump, you're even more mystified wanting to ask God, why? Why do these things occur? So Habakkuk deals with that question. Now in Habakkuk's time, the circumstances are very different than our circumstances. In fact, here's a little map. This is the way it looked when King Solomon finally concluded his reign. There were the ten northern tribes up here. There are the two southern tribes. This is called Israel. This is called Judah. And so after Solomon the kingdom of Israel, the 12 tribes were divided up 10 and 2. By the time Habakkuk came along, this little area of Judah was the only surviving population. This tribe of, these 10 tribes of Israel in 722 BC were destroyed by the power nation of Assyria. Well, Assyria then finally saw their end and the powerhouse of Babylon came in and Babylon then took over this entire territory that I have on the screen. Here's Jordan, here's Israel, here's Syria, here's Iraq, here's Turkey. And you can see that the Babylon empire was vast, very powerful. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king in charge. And Habakkuk is living about 610 B.C. He writes anywhere from 610 to 606 B.C. And you can see that the Babylonian empire began in 606 B.C. So for Habakkuk, his struggle is, God, why are you allowing this evil, evil empire of Babylon to come and wipe out the two southern tribes known as Judah? Why are you allowing Zion, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, to be utterly destroyed in 586 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar? Why are you letting people, good people, godly people like Daniel, be taken captive? stolen away from their homeland of Judah 
to be enslaved in the Babylonian Empire? Why are you allowing these good people like Daniel to be captive and enslaved to this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar? So that, that's the situation for Habakkuk. So as you think about Scripture, let me just say kind of in a broad scale, if you want to understand Scripture so it's relevant, you can take an Old Testament book like Habakkuk that maybe many of us have never even read, didn't even know it was in the Bible. But here's what you got to do. In Scripture, there's a science. And the science of interpretation is that there's only one correct interpretation of every passage in Scripture. There's only one. Sometimes we get it wrong, but there's one. But there are applications. In Habakkuk's story, there is a primary application. Every book of the Bible has a primary application. And the primary application is it was written to the people that lived in that situation. So Habakkuk is writing and dialoguing with God, and he's writing about his primary application situation. That is, the Babylonian power, the Chaldeans as sometimes they're called, they're coming and wiping us out. And God, I don't know why you're allowing this to occur. It's frustrating to me. And so it's Habakkuk in his dialogue with God. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the book of Habakkuk. It's not a message to the, true, to the tribe of Judah. It's a dialogue with God. The primary application is why are you allowing Babylon, this evil empire, to overtake Judah and the capital of your place of worship and allowing Jerusalem and the temple to be destroyed? Why? That's the primary application. The secondary application I've already talked about. It's where we have situations, why has cancer taken over my body? Why has my spouse died? God, why are you allowing these circumstances in my marriage? Why did my marriage fail? Why can't I get married? Why did I get married? There's a lot of situations we're asking God, why? And so that's the secondary application. And so what I've done for you, I've done all the legwork for you. I've saved you the time. And on the outline that I have for you in the bulletin, I didn't give to you the primary application of what Habakkuk is dealing with. We'll try to talk about that. But I'm giving to you what is the secondary application. How is it relevant to your situation when you go through circumstances and you don't like it? You think God's being unfair, and you're asking him, why, God? Why is this going on in my life? Well, these are the things you need to understand, so let's talk about that, and let me try to illustrate it as we go along. Habakkuk is writing his book, and it's a dialogue, as I said. It's a conversation between God and Habakkuk. And these are the whys of Habakkuk. I put them on the screen. They're on your outline for you. Let me read a couple of verses of chapter 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw... Some people believe that Habakkuk was actually a musician that would worship in the temple, because you see at the last, he does have that time of worship. And notice the questions he asked God. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? Are you praying about something, and you're frustrated because God doesn't seem to be responding? Well, you're right there where the sweet spot of Habakkuk is. God, I've been praying about this for a long time, and I don't see any answers. What's the deal? Why are you delaying your answer? I cry out to you in violence, yet you do not save. God, why are you allowing these violent things to occur in my life? Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. 
Therefore the law is ignored, justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. The Babylonians are coming in, they are the wicked, and it is pushing out the justice of God's people and righteousness. And so these are his questions of why. God, why won't you answer my prayer? Why is painful suffering and injustice continuing? Why does God do nothing about it? Why is there so much division and strife in our lives? Why do people get away with disobeying God's laws? Why do evil people succeed in hurting good people? That is what Habakkuk is complaining to God about. Now let me just add anecdotal, or just in terms, parenthetically I should say. I get a little nervous when I challenge God the way Habakkuk is. All I know is that God says, Dave, I'm so much bigger and more powerful than you. You think your measly little words are going to bother me? So Dave, ask away. When you're frustrated like crazy as to why I'm not responding, you ask me. You talk to me. Tell me what you feel. It was characteristic in those times to ask God the big why questions. I put on the outline some of the verses, but here they are. It's not just Habakkuk saying this. In Psalm 10, 1, it says, Why do you stand afar, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Psalm 22, here's King David saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if they sound familiar, because Jesus said the same thing on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus can ask God that, David can ask God that, you know what? So can I. Ask away. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction or oppression? Psalm 44. Psalm 88. Why, O oh Lord, why do you reject my soul? Do you ever feel like God rejects you? That God's forgotten about you? That God has passed you by? And he's dealing with everyone else but you? And you say, why, God, why? That's Habakkuk's frustration. And he invites us into it. So here is the secondary application and what you need to know when you don't know why. Ready? Here we go. First thing that we notice from Habakkuk is God is working even if I don't understand it. Notice verse 5 of chapter 1. Primary application, Babylonian attacking. And God says back to Habakkuk after Habakkuk has complained to God. Remember, this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation. God says in verse 5, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days, you would not believe it if you were told. That doesn't tell him exactly why, but it does tell him that God is in charge. And one of the things that God wants us to understand that I am working, you may not see it in that little picture of your life, but I am doing something. Let me give you a real simple micro illustration. I've been working hard to find a way to tell you the fact that Dave Herring and I went on a 5,600-mile motorcycle ride uh, through Oklahoma City and up St. Louis and up to uh, Kentucky to see the Ark, and then we saw the Air Force Museum, and then we saw Canton, um, Ohio Hall of Fame football. We saw the bust of Jackie Slater, and it's frustrating that his bust looks better than my live face, but it's still nevertheless. And then we came all the way down and went all the way through Alabama, went into New Orleans, and why anybody lives there, I don't know. And then we went over to Houston, and why anybody ever would want to go to Houston for any reason whatsoever, I don't understand that at all. Why, God, why did you create Houston? And so as we came into Houston, a couple of times we had a situation where Dave's linkage was wrong, and we had to pull into a Harley dealer to have it fixed. 
second time we're pulling into Houston and it is raining it is a torrential rainfall it is lightning it is thunder and I remember reading the story a couple of weeks before where a guy riding a motorcycle was struck by lightning on his helmet and killed him yeah that was uh, scary so we're riding through all this thunderstorm and lightning and I look behind me and Dave's not not there don't what happened to him I pull off to the side of the freeway in the rain and finally he comes up he says my tire my rear tire is going flat and so we pulled off we stayed under the underpass so we kept on going limping along about 40 miles per hour with a half flat tire and finally we looked up on the app where the notice where the closest Harley dealer is so in Houston we went to this Harley dealer in the rain Did I tell you it was raining in Houston does it ever stop raining in Houston it's just incredible and so we finally went there and, uh, and as we had pulled off I looked at the tire that was half flat and I said you know I've got this thing this can of uh, foam that you can put into it and inflates it Then I don't want to do that I'm afraid I'll you know mess it up so but I looked at the tire in the middle of the tire the rubber tread was all the way down to the inner core now from Houston West San Antonio and then from San Antonio to Yuma which again, why, why does he? Anyway, so that little stretch, if we had not caught that tire in Houston by the Harley dealer so he could put a new tire on his bike, he could have had a major blowout because it was that worn out. So I told Dave on the spot prophetically, prophetically I told him, God made your tire go half flat, not all the way flat, because all the way flat you can't ride it, half flat, you can slosh around for about 30 miles per hour but he made it go flat so I would bend down and I would look and I would see this tire is ready to explode God why did we have to pull off to the side of the road in lightning and thunder why did you have to create a Houston that has terrible weather God why did we have to be there at that time and why did you allow that tire to go flat this is frustrating we want to get out of here as fast as we can and we can't because God says Dave I'm just waiting for you to finally understand I want you to look at the stupid tire so you can fix it because I don't want you to have a blowout between San Antonio and Yuma now God didn't verbally say that to me I'm just saying it here so I can make a tax write off of the whole trip but I just wanted you to understand that that sometimes God allows circumstances that seem unsettling so that he can reveal something more clearly that you need to understand. So Isaiah writes in Isaiah 35, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God says to Habakkuk, God, God says to him, Look, Habakkuk, you don't understand it, but I'm doing something. And he says to us in a motorcycle ride, You don't understand why it's going flat, but I'm doing something here. I want to reveal something to you. When God takes us to those journeys, he's doing something to reveal something we would not otherwise know. And that means, therefore, I need to listen to him. I need to look to God's word. That's what he goes on to say here in Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2. In 2, 1 and 2, he's talking here, I will stand on my guard post, Habakkuk says, and stand stationed on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered and said, record the vision and inscribe on the tablets the one who reads it may run. God says, Habakkuk, 
listen to me. He says to him, I will keep watch. I will see what he will speak. God, I'm in this situation. I don't know what you're doing, so I need to listen very carefully so that I can know you better and your word, your gospel truth is true to me and I want to understand you better. So insight, give me insight. One of the ways you can do that, notice what Habakkuk says, then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. So this is the book of Habakkuk. He's recording the vision so that we can read it today. Here it is 2,600 years later. We're still reading the vision. But here's the secondary application. Whenever you read God's word, you want to understand how it applies to you today. These are not just random thoughts that are some sort of a, you know, quotable quotes of Reader's Digest. These are things that have content. And one of the things that I have done when I read God's word, I often will write these are things that I have written on my daily private time to help me to dialogue with God. I read the text. I reflect on the text. I think about how that text affects my life today in my situation, my family, my work. And then I write about it. And then I write down people that I should be praying for. And so I found this thing, I forgot about it, it was way up on my upper shelf and I pulled out one of the sheets. Here's Psalm 64. This was November the 4th, 1993. That's when we were in Lodi. I read Psalm 94, I write some reflections about whatever the Psalm 94, or 64 I should say is all about, and then at the end I list some names of people that need prayer. This is part of the secondary application that God, when I don't know why, I need to know you, your word, and I need to write so that your word can become clear to me so that when my frustrations grow, I know you're still in charge. And then finally, I need to humbly wait in faith for God to work. It's a life of faith. That's why he continues to say this in the Habakkuk, in verse 3, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. God says, I'm coming. I'm doing something. Trust me in this. He says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Don't be proud. I know better than God. I'm going to abstain from God. I'm going to rebel against God. I'm going to grow distant from God. Don't be proud thinking, I've got this under control. I don't have it under control because the righteous will live by his faith. This is such a rich verse. This is quoted three times in the New Testament, but the righteous will live by faith. Three times the gospel writers of the New Testament quoted that verse because it's a life of faith. Henry Nouwen is a man not with his own, without his own personal struggles. When he was alive, he wrote some very great things that are meaningful to read. An imperfect man, but bringing some wonderful insights to life. He tells the story of one time when he was dialoguing with a trapeze artist. And the trapeze artist said, Henry, let me come you to understand how trapeze artists work. In the trapeze artist world, there is the catcher. This is the catcher. And then there is the flyer. This is the flyer. And they each have their own role to play. As they swing back and forth high up in the air, the catcher has one job, to catch. And the flyer has a job. At one point as the flyer is swinging back and forth, the flyer has to release from that trapeze. 
and then that flyer will fly through the air in absolute trust. And Henry Nouwen was told, the one thing that the flyer cannot do is try to catch the catcher. Let the catcher catch the flyer. All the flyer has to do is to extend his or her hands and wait for the catcher to catch the flyer. And I love that image. That by faith we release the things we cannot. is that God is working and that I need to live by faith that he's going to catch me. He's going to move me through it. And one of the things I never want to do is to go through the woes. I don't have time to go into this, but I've listed all the woes. Then Habakkuk in verse 5 begins to list all these woes against Babylon for the things that they're going to do. There are five woes. You never want to be on God's bad side and be part of the woes. I've listed what those woes are. And when we go through circumstances, and I don't know why, I want to look at that list and say, God, I want to make sure I'm not doing some of those things. Because some of those things are things I might be prone to do. Like abusive power against someone else because I'm frustrated. Like the misuse of alcohol that is very destructive to some behaviors. God, don't let me get into some of the woes. And you can list them. They're all about what Babylon is going to do. And he says, I'm going to judge Babylon for what they're going to do. But my secondary application says, I, I don't want to be like the Babylonians in my rebellion against God's control. And so he, I list them for you, for your own personal evaluation. And then finally, here's, here's the clincher. In chapter 3, Habakkuk, perhaps being again that musician in the temple worship, has a prayer. A prayer of, of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigeonoth. It's some kind of a song. We don't know for sure. It says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Then starting in verse 3, he recounts all the things that God has done for the nation of Israel. God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. That could be Edom. That might have been the territory where Moses received the Ten Commandments or where Moses would worship and dialogue with God. God, your splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there's hiding his power. God, you are like the sun rising above the the horizon of the earth and you are about to shine truth and light before him goes pestilence and plague comes after him he's talking about when the israelites were in egypt and pestilence allowed pharaoh to release the slavery of the jewish people he recounts that 
of the Egypt days. He stood and surveyed the earth, and he looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered, the ancient hills were collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushion under distress. The tents of the curtains of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Was the anger against the rivers? Was his wrath against the sea that you rode on the horses? Oh, the chariots of salvation. He's talking about going through the Red Sea and how the Red Sea came back and captured Pharaoh and his army. So he's recounting things of his past. That's the primary application of God working. The sun stood still in the days of Joshua, verse 11, and all these things happened. So he recounts what God has done for him already. Here is the secondary application that what you and I need to do is to go back in time and say, God, you have been there for me. I can trust you now because of what you've done in the past. Let me give him a real trite attempt at illustrating this. It might seem a little silly to some of you. I remember when I was in kindergarten and the reality of life, that life is not always fair, came home. I had a friend of mine, Tim, we've known each other since kindergarten. And one of the assignments in kindergarten was to learn to tie our shoes. Tim tied his shoes the first time he tried. I worked all day on tying my shoes, and I could never get it right. I was so frustrated. And that's when I learned early on in my little micro mind of a kindergarten kid that do I have what it takes? Am I adequate? Why is Tim so much better than me? Why is life treating me so unfairly? Now, I couldn't articulate it all then, but I'm looking back and I'm saying, you know, that's kind of what I was feeling. I went home and told my mother, I can't tie my shoes, and Timmy knows how to tie his shoes. Those little tiniest stories like that, it's reflective of when you get to be older of bigger issues. I remember when I was in high school and I had to go speak to a youth group of juvenile delinquents, and I spoke to them the first time I've ever spoken to a group of people, and I did such a terrible job, I went home and told my father, who's a pastor and who preached every Sunday, I told my dad, I hate speaking in front of people. I will never do it again. <laughs> That's literally what I told him. And then I remember when I was in college and I started going bald. Is it noticeable? <laughs> and I began to think to myself, I need to get a wife before I go really bald because I'm not sure, I'm not sure anybody would like me if I was really bald. And so fortunately, God brought joy into my life before I went completely bald. And, and now she's stuck with me. And last week, I went to the Kaiser for my physical exam and found out, yes, I am still obese. And so 44 years ago, 44 years ago, God gave me a wife named Joy, and now she has to live with a bald, obese man for the rest of her life. I say all that sort of tongue-in-cheek. But you know, when you look back in some of these simple things, and you look back, why did you get all worked up about tying your shoes? Why did you get worked up about the juvenile delinquents? Why did you get worked up about being bald? Because you're fearful of going into the future and not having what it takes. And then when you look back, you say, well, you know, I, I can still tie my shoes today. <laughs> Often I don't because I just slip them on. And sometimes I don't get it right the first time, I do it a second time. And I can speak to people, and sometimes I don't get that right the first time, and I'd like to have a do-over on it. But I never want to have a do-over on my marriage. 
44 years of marriage and God has provided. And it could go on and on. What, the point is you go back and you reflect, God, you, you, you were there. In the moment, it didn't seem like it, but I look back and there you were. And secondly, we need to remember his mercy and how he's helped you in the past. And that's what I was just talking about. And then he goes on to say, by admitting your own weakness. Notice what Habakkuk says about the power of God and the power of Babylon. He says, I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble. Admit when you're struggling. Admit the weakness. I don't have what it takes. I'm overcome by this situation. God says, Habakkuk, I understand. You're but grass. You are weak. I admit I am weak. And there are moments when I have to tremble, and it's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of maturity. Not necessarily because I have sin in my life and I need to confess it, and then I won't be that way anymore. It's just that sometimes circumstances get to the point, and I just have to admit it. I saw it read in illustration just this last week of this pastor, Pastor Chuck Betters. He passes a church in the east side of our country. I think it's in North Carolina. He's got this amazing ministry to people who are hurting. The reason he has this ministry to people who are hurting because in 1993, his 16-year-old son was killed in a car accident. Can you imagine? I can't. Here's what Chuck Better said. On days leading to Sundays, I struggled like King David. Why? Oh, God, exactly. I shook my fist. I wondered at times if God even existed. Mark's death forced my preaching to drag the word through a furnace of human heartache. The cliché Christian answers and platitudes were burned away. Only truth remained, and our church changed. Ours has become a place for hurting, grieving people, those who bear God's scorch marks to struggle openly with their faith. See, this is what God does. I don't want to ever have that phone call. Kirsty or Jessica or Josiah are killed in a car wreck. Never. But it's in those crises when you turn to God. And like Chuck Bitters, you, you may shake your fist. Why? Why? That's what Habakkuk's doing. Why, God? Why? As he admits his weakness. And then here's the final. He turns to the Lord by asking for the spiritual strength. God, I'm in this weakened condition. I don't have what it takes. Help me to climb my way out of it. And this wonderful verse, perhaps the best known verse of Habakkuk. The Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk in high places with a choir director on my stringed instruments. That's why he's probably a musician, the Levites, worshiping God. Says, God, I just told you how I'm weak. My body is trembling. I am fearful. I am anxious. I don't know what to do. But God, when I look to you, you are the one who's going to make me walk in my high places. Notice the book begins with the question of why. It concludes with the answer of who. God, you. I don't know what it's like to walk on high places. I hate high places. In fact, this is a little scary right here for me. But I wanted to show you, some people think it's a deer, some people think he's talking about gazelle, some people think it's about ibex, this animal. I'm going to show you. Here is an image of what the ibex does as he walks 
This is Edom. This is the area that Moses was traveling through, the Israelites. Can you imagine walking there and somehow climbing up and down? It's mom with her babies as they walk along this trail, and mom is training the babies how to climb down to get food and water. This is, imagine Habakkuk watching this and writing down, God, this is how I want you to care for me. When I see these obstacles, this mountain, this mountain range that looks impossible for me to get through, God, I want to be like these beautiful beasts as they somehow work their way down to obstacles that seem impossible to navigate. And that poor little baby, no one dies, don't worry, as he jumps down and gets to lower ground and finds his way. David quoted this, Psalm 18 quotes the same verse about walking in like hind's feet down the mountain range. And these wonderful Ibeck animals, you can see why watching them would be entertaining to the authors like King David and Habakkuk, thinking, Lord, these territories look impossible but God, help me to jump and be cared for by your mighty power. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine being Habakkuk watching those beautiful animals traverse this forsaken, impossible land? God says, that's, that's how I want you to feel, that I have you in my hands. I'm going to help you go through this like Heinz walking on their feet in the mountain ranges that are impossible to traverse. That's our God. Now, let me conclude with this. One of the things that Habakkuk did is he wrote his prayer to God. That's what it is. It's a private prayer, but he included all of us in it. What I encourage you to do is in this next segment, we're going to have a time of worship. On the back side of my outline, I've given you a little space. I encourage you to do. This is what I did with, this, with all this stuff. This is, this is what I'm talking about. That something happens when you write these things down. This last week, I met with a hospice organization. One of, the, one of the booklets that they gave me is this. A woman wrote about going through times of death. It says, what we need to release is very private, just between ourselves and the person who has died. To release this, we can put our thoughts on paper. Write a letter to the person who is gone. Write about the good and the difficult times. Say all the things that couldn't be put into words when they were alive. No one will see this. It is for our eyes only. So no holds barred. Let's straighten out the relationship once for all. Writing makes us think. It makes us sort everything out. It gives scattered thoughts an or orderly place in our lives. When we're finished, we need a special release for the letter. Burn it and scatter the ashes to the wind. I like that. In fact, all these, when I die, like Mission Impossible, they're just going to burn up. But what I encourage you to do now is to do what God has asked Habakkuk to do, and he asks us. As this song is played, would you begin to write, God, these are my whys. These are my frustrations. And God... Help me to walk on my high places like the Ibex in the mountain range that I just looked at. God, give me the strength. If you'd like to pray with someone you don't ready, you're not ready to write, be people who are prayer points, let them pray with you as well. So let me pray for us.
and we'll give you an opportunity to write away. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who loves us, who cares for us, and Lord, that you can handle the, the frustrations we bring to you. If you can control nations like Israel and Babylon and Assyria and use those national powers to accomplish your purposes, how much more powerful are you over our personal lives and the journey that each of us are on? Father, it's not always easy. With Habakkuk, sometimes we're trembling in fear and in frustration. And God, I know that for me, many times I say, Lord, how long? How long until you answer this prayer? What are you waiting on? And yet, God, I want to be with Habakkuk. So, Lord, I turn to you. I invite your presence and your word and your truth into my life that I would now live that truth and walk on those high places, those impossible paths that I could never, I could never walk on except that you lift me up and give me the strength. Father, now we turn to you in worship, in prayer, for your blessing and your provision for each of us wherever we're at. We pray it in Jesus' name.